Yale University, once considered our nation's foremost home of patriarchy and WASP culture, has apparently changed its tune in recent years as evidenced by a recent lecture during which a leftist psychiatrist described her desire to shoot white guys. This is the cost of talking to white people at all. The cost of your own life is a stuffy dry. There are no good apples out there. White people make my blood boil. I had fantasies of unloading a revolver into the head of any white person that got in my way, daring their body, and wiping my bloody hands as I walked away relatively guiltless. For God, for country, kill white males. That's going to be the new, <laughs> the new alma mater of Yale, apparently. Uh, meanwhile, Donald Trump, another white male, who gets booted from Facebook for another two years. Joe Biden ignores D-Day to harp on the Tulsa race riot. And we investigate what America can learn from Nigeria. There, there is something, actually. Nigeria might be a little more politically serious these days than the United States. How's that? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment on Friday is from Fable Nuclear Reactor, who says, breaking news after the leaked emails, Dr. Fauci now recommends face masks over your eyes. <laughs> this is true. It's amazing how that works, you know, but definitely over your mouth. And now with the emails, it's more important actually even to put it over your eyes, see no evil, maybe over your ears, hear no evil, over your mouth too. I actually have a runner-up favorite comment from Friday. We don't always do this, but I, I thought this was so insightful that I had to read it out from Billy S. who says, I bet everyone who voted for Joe Biden are rolling over in their graves right now. And, and I think that's probably true. I assume they were rolling in their graves when they ostensibly voted for him. If you want to protect yourself, you got to check out Ring. Very important to protect your home. How do you do it? You go to Ring. This is a great way to know who is at your door before you open that door. Because it could be anybody. Forget about it. It could be a burglar. I guess it could. But it could be the pizza guy. You're going to want to know that. It could be someone dropping off packages. You're going to want to know that. You're going to run to the door and open it up. It could be your mother-in-law. In which case, maybe you, you start running. You stop. Then you stay perfectly still. Nobody sees. Nobody moves. Great way to get peace of mind. When I'm on the road, I love knowing that sweet little Elise and cute little June will know who is outside the door before they open that door. And by the way, you can see and speak to whoever's outside the door, whether you're in the house, whether you're at your office, whether you're on another continent. Ring is the way to do it. Also makes a great housewarming gift because it's cool and it's a great product. People want it and it's not that expensive. I love that. So you get credit for a great gift without shelling out a lot of money. Start protecting your home today with Ring Alarm. Go to ring.com slash Knowles to get your Ring Alarm security kit today. You can build the system that's right for you. Have it up and running in minutes. That is ring.com slash Knowles. Ring.com slash Knowles. Tough out there for a white guy these days, apparently. <laughs> if you think of a white guy can't walk down the streets of New Haven at Yale without being threatened uh, with a gun, then uh, really something has gone crazy in this country. Now, anybody walks down the streets of New Haven and gets threatened with a gun. That, that's sort of ordinary. But generally, our view of Yale, right, is this is the patriarchy. This is the wasp culture. This is where the white men wield their power over the society. And that's not really true that I don't, if it ever was true, it certainly isn't true now. Now, lecturers 
give whole talks at Yale University unironically about how they want to shoot white men. It's not as though this was just an example used as a kind of ironic joke, but then she's realized that she shouldn't do this. No, she was being very earnest. She thinks that white men are deserving of violent death at her hands. And it's not just this kind of insane, I mean, it is insane. She's an insane woman, but it's not just an emotional outburst. She actually made an argument. The talk is called The Psychopathic Problem of the White Mind. And this psychopath who gave the talk decided to project and accuse her opponents of that, that uh, thing from which she, she suffers. This was given at the Yale School of Medicine's Child Study Center. And uh, the, the woman's name is Dr. Aruna Kilanani. And here is her argument. So white people are out of their minds and they have been for a long time. So we're not in a psychological predicament because white people feel that we are bullying them when we bring up race. They feel that we should be thanking them for all that they have done for us. They are confused and so are we. Can you hear me okay? We keep forgetting that directly talking about race is a waste of our breath. We are asking a demented, violent predator who thinks that they're a saint or a superhero to accept responsibility. It ain't gonna happen. They have five holes in their brain. It's like banging your head against a brick wall, just like sort of not a good idea. We need to remember that directly talking about race to white people is useless because we're at the wrong level of conversation. Addressing racism is things that white people can see and process what we are talking about. They can't. That's why they sound demented. They don't even know they have a mask on. White people think it's their actual face. We need to get to know the mask. So the first point, which is obvious within seconds of listening to this woman, is that everything that she accuses white people of being and doing she herself is and does, right? So she calls white people demented. This woman is clearly demented. She accuses white people of being incapable of rational thought. She herself is not only incapable of rational thought, at, at the moment at least, but she denies the possibility of rational thought, right? And, and so beyond her insane babbling, there is an argument here. It's an argument that stops arguments. We often talk about the Chesterton quote, there's a thought that stops thought, and that's the, the only thought that ought to be stopped. She is expressing that right here. And the reason I bring it up is not just because some insane lady said something crazy at Yale. If that's all we focused on, then that would be the subject of the show every single day, because there are plenty of examples of that. The, the reason I bring it up is because this is what we're talking about when we talk about critical race theory. Not just the obsession with sex, or race rather, not just, <laughs> there's also sexual politics, which we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, it's not just the obsession with race. It's not just the vilification of people on the basis of their race, namely white people. It's more importantly, the denial of rational thought, the denial of our ability to understand things. Whenever you hear these radical leftists talking about how you you can't deny my lived experience and you can never know what it is to suffer this sort of oppression and you can never empathize. And, you know, what they're saying is you don't have perception, conception, faculties of reason. You're not capable of intellect. And, and furthermore, when, when she says it's a waste of breath to talk about these things to white people, she's expressing a central tenet of this kind of 
critical race theory or critical theory or the broader 20th century sort of neo-Marxist tradition. Namely, that we are going to deny objective reality. And in so doing, we're going to deny that the words which refer to objective reality have any meaning. This is actually at the very heart of my upcoming book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, available now for pre-order. The idea that because there's no such thing as objective reality, there's no such thing as nature to which we're bound, and this actually on the sex point relates to transgenderism because it means we're not even bound to our very own sexual nature, but because there's no objective thing that we're bound to, then words can just mean whatever we want them to. It's like Humpty Dumpty in Alice in Wonderland. In, in Alice in Wonderland, Humpty Dumpty is there and he says... Here in in my world, words can mean whatever I want them to mean. And Alice says, can words really mean so many things? And Humpty Dumpty responds and says, that is not the question. The question is, what is to be master? That is all. The question isn't what do the words mean? The question is, who gets to define the words? And if I can define all the words, I can redefine reality. That's the premise that we're working on here. Okay, so if this is critical race theory, you're seeing it, I think, in its purest form. And I think any reasonable person, I know we're not allowed to admit our faculties of reason, would say, we got to get rid of this stuff. Some people are doing that. Ron DeSantis in Florida is announcing that he will oppose any candidate for school board who supports CRT. Next week, I have my uh, commissioner on education going to our board of education, uh, banning it, uh, banning any departure from accurate history and following our standards. Uh, This is something we've got to stay on the forefront of. We're also, Dan, not going to support any Republican candidate for school board who supports critical race theory in in all 67 counties or who supports mandatory masking uh, of school children. And so, as you said, these local elections matter. We're going to get the Florida political apparatus involved so we can make sure there's not a single school board Republican who ever indulges critical race theory. Another home run for Ron DeSantis here. Why is he doing this? He's doing this because he knows that the sort of academic freedom of critical race theory is the opposite of freedom. That actually, if you permit this kind of insanity into schools, you're going to be undermining kids' education. And he also knows that if you want to be able to route this thing from the schools, it's not enough just to talk about it. It's not enough just to point out the problem. You have to actually go in and win those races. And this is a a very conservative, very just use of political influence, and and he's going to wield it. This can be very, very effective. Do you remember on this show, maybe, I don't know, was it three, four weeks ago, we talked about an Oregon school board that was uh, infiltrated by crazy libs. And uh, one woman in particular wanted to pass a rule such that in every classroom in the school district, the teachers had to display not just the American flag, which was already in the classrooms, but the BLM flag and the progressive pride flag, just the, just the rainbow flag, I, I imagine. And it, they had to be the same size as the American flag, and they had to be there in all of the classrooms. This was just shot down. We brought some light to it on this show. A few other conservative outlets, but not very many, uh, pointed it out, and and this has now been shot down. I guess the parents finally took control over their kids' education and said, no, I don't care what lunatic woman won this position on the school board. We're not tolerating that. We're not going to put the BLM flag on the same level as the American flag, for goodness sakes. But it's very important. These symbols really matter. Sometimes people 
even conservatives will criticize the cultural conservatives for, for just harping too much on language. Oh, who cares, man? It's just a word. It's just a symbol. Obviously, the left cares because they focus a lot on words and symbols and things like flags because the symbols shape how we perceive the world. And the symbols represent things that are symbolized. And what you're seeing now with this big push to mainstream the BLM flag or the rainbow flag in particular, especially this month, is an attempt to replace the American flag. If you look on social media, sometimes people put little flags and things in their, in their names. When you see an American flag, 99 times out of 100, you're looking at a conservative account. When you see a pride flag, 99 times out of 100, you're looking at a leftist account. If you see various symbols associated with BLM, you are 99 times out of 100 looking at a leftist account. This is an attempt when you try to bring in these new flags. This is an attempt to re-found the country. This is something that they told us in the 1619 Project. They want to reframe American history. And by reframing our past, they want to reframe the whole country. Now, if you need somebody new at your workplace, I would strongly recommend ZipRecruiter. If you're a business owner who's hiring, you probably face a lot of challenges when it comes to finding the right person for your role, which is why you got to try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Very simple. When you're hiring, time is money. Okay, so don't waste money by just throwing spaghetti at the wall. Use ZipRecruiter. Your job will get sent out to over 100 top job sites with one click, but it's not going to just stay like that. ZipRecruiter's matching technology is then going to go out and find people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invite them to apply. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Over 2.3 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. There's a reason for that, okay? While other companies overwhelm you with way too many options, ZipRecruiter finds what you're looking for, that needle in the haystack, and they find it quick. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash K-N-O-W-L-E-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The Black Lives Matter riots of 2020 are often credited to the 1619 Project. And the woman who started the 1619 Project, Nicole Hannah-Jones, said she was proud to call them the 1619 Riots. Oh, that would be so great because her project there was to reframe American history. Why? Is this just some academic exercise? Is that what this is all about? This, this Yale lady who shows up to the Yale School of Medicine and she, she's not, she doesn't work for Yale. She was brought there to give a lecture. And she says she wants to shoot white people in the head and white people are incapable of reason. Basically, they're animals, right? They're like dogs. That's, that's just an academic exercise. No, I don't think so. And by the way, in defense of Yale, Yale did come out and condemn, the Yale School of Medicine came out and condemned what this woman said. But that's sort of not the point. <laughs> if, if this had been in the other direction, if a white guy had gone to, the, to Yale and gave a lecture about how black people are dogs, like this woman said about white people, that would not just be a national incident. That would be an international incident. You would have U.S. senators calling for commissions to investigate Yale. I mean, this would be wall-to-wall coverage for weeks and weeks and months and months. There would be riots in the streets over this. But then this crazy lady comes in and says it about white people. Oh, oopsie. Yeah, we shouldn't have done that. No big deal. See you later. You probably won't even hear about this story unless you're tuned into this show or, or Daily Wire. 
because it's a different set of rules. And the, the move here is to reframe America as viciously racist and white supremacist or whatever. Where does this come from? The idea that America pretends to be good. The history we've been taught is that America's good, but actually America's evil. And the only form of evil there is in the world is racism. The, the accusation is America, when it thinks of itself, only focuses on the good things. And now we need to bring in a corrective on the left to focus on the bad things. And uh, the great example of this right now is the Tulsa massacre. It's a, a race riot from 100 years ago in Tulsa. Had you ever heard about the Tulsa race riot before this year? I'm going to say probably not. Maybe you did. Maybe you remembered reading about it at some point, but probably, probably you didn't. Because this is not considered a particularly important event in American history. It's a sad thing, but not considered particularly important to our self-understanding. What happened in Tulsa? I'm sure you've heard about it in the last week. Joe Biden's given speeches about it. What happened in Tulsa? Here are the basic facts. Okay, and these are not just facts that I happen to know. These are not just facts that I've read in history books. All of these facts are accounted for on Wikipedia, a left-wing news source, as mainstream as it gets, okay? In Tulsa, a 19-year-old black guy was accused of assaulting a teenage girl. I think she was 17 or something like that, a white girl in an elevator. They were alone, and that was the accusation. Uh, He was arrested, and he admitted to putting his hands on the girl, but he said he he didn't assault her. So he's arrested the next day by a white detective and a black patrolman. All right, it's not just a purely white force. Both of these guys come and arrest the guy. Then, allegedly, a sensationalist newspaper piece uh, warned that there was going to be a lynching. Now, there's no evidence that this newspaper piece ever existed. It may have, and it might have been taken out of the historical record. We just don't know. In any case, hundreds of whites show up to the courthouse. They show up where this guy is being held, and they were considered a possible lynch mob. There is good evidence that they were a lynch mob, but the reason to, to have worried that they were a lynch mob is kind of ironic. The reason to have worried they were a lynch mob is that another guy had recently been lynched within the the previous year. But the guy wasn't a black guy. It was actually a white guy who was accused of murder was lynched by a lynch mob. Also complicates our story because the way that we think about lynch mobs is that they only ever go after black people, but that's not true. The largest mass lynching in American history was against Italian guys. And the one the year before the Tulsa race riot was actually a lynching of a white guy accused of murder. Okay. So the white guys show up maybe they're a lynch mob. The sheriff defends the, the teenage black guy who was accused, Roland, of, uh, he, he defends him against the lynch mob. All right. Hundreds that, or I'm sorry, first about 60 to 80 black guys show up worried that there's going to be a lynch mob and they show up with guns. Now at this point, the hundreds of white people there go home and get their guns. Then a shot was fired. It's unclear who fired the shot. It seems likely that it was a black guy who fired the shot because of an incident that had taken place between a white guy and a black guy, but it's still unclear. In any case, more shots were fired. 10 white guys die, two black guys die in the first little skirmish. There were more race fights the next day. Then the white mob starts setting fire to black businesses. Then things get really out of control. There are private aircraft flying over. I mean, they're not, this is not like F-18s, but still private aircraft are going after black businesses. It gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Finally, the National Guard and law enforcement put down this riot. Numbers on the dead differ. It wasn't a huge number, but it was still a very, very significant 
uh, riot, there were uh, estimates range from about 10 whites dead and 21 blacks dead to about you know, 50 whites dead and 150 or so blacks dead. Okay, that's, those are the facts in as basic a way as I can lay out about Tulsa. Why do I mention this? Because this sad race riot from 100 years ago is very important to America today? No, it hasn't been important until now because the left wants to make it important. Joe Biden, on the 77th anniversary of D-Day, right, this glorious event in our self-understanding, D-Day, so important in recent memory to to America's self-understanding, Joe Biden ignored D-Day. He neglected it. Instead, he posted a video of himself meeting with the survivors of the Tulsa race riot. He says, he tweets, quote, I met with survivors of the Tulsa massacre this week to help fill the silence because in silence wounds deepen and as painful as it is, only in remembrance do wounds heal. What's he talking about? What is he talking about? I think the wounds from the Tulsa race riot had healed a hundred years ago. The wounds that no one was talking about at all. He's picking that scab. He wants people to focus on that. He doesn't want people to talk about D-Day. That was glorious and makes America look good. He wants to talk about this long forgotten race riot because that makes America look bad. Now he won't talk about every race riot. He won't, for instance, talk about the race riot that happened during the summer of last year. The race riot, race, I'm sorry, race riots in which BLM burned down multiple cities around the country. He's not talking about that. But the, but Mr. President, the wounds are going to fester. They're going to deepen if we don't talk. No, we're not allowed to talk about that. We're not allowed to talk about how BLM burned down Minneapolis and Washington, D.C. and New York and cities all over the country. No, because that contradicts the narrative. That doesn't advance the premise that America is a white supremacist, terrible country. Actually, instead of talking about those race riots, Joe Biden instead meets with the family of George Floyd, violates the coronavirus lockdowns to show up to uh, the funeral of George Floyd, where many, many thousands of people were going at the height of the apparent pandemic. He doesn't want to talk about that. He doesn't want to heal any wounds. He wants to pick wounds because this is about framing. The way to prove this, by the way, is to show it's, n- it's not even just about race. It's simply about framing the country as it is, as evil, as pretext for the radicals to give revolution. You saw the same thing happen up in Canada. So Justin Trudeau, also while he was supposed to be commemorating the 77th anniversary of D-Day, did not mention D-Day. It was Canadian Armed Services Day, coinciding with D-Day. He doesn't mention D-Day. Instead, he addresses, quote, sexual misconduct and gender-based violence in the military. What? This is... This is Canadian Armed Services Day. This is the day we're supposed to celebrate the armed forces of Canada and their heroic efforts. No, we're just going to talk about how terrible they are. This is why now in America, we don't talk about our glories. We don't talk about the 4th of July. We don't, we barely talk about our, our veterans. When we do, we just talk about them as a bunch of hapless schmucks. Oh, they were shipped overseas to a pointless war. They didn't, it's not as though they died for our freedom for anything useful or purposeful. No, no. And we shouldn't focus on that anyway. There's Memorial Day and there's Pride Month. <laughs> you know, which, well, yeah, a little bit we'll talk about, but really we've got to focus on grievance. We've got to talk about radical left identity groups. There was actually a proposal, a, another day that 
is not, has not been very important in American history, but all of a sudden the left is trying to make it important, is Juneteenth. This is one of many days that marked the end of the Civil War, but the left is trying to make this into a really big deal. And there was a proposal by a Republican senator to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. But how are they going to do it? They can't just keep making federal holidays. You know, the people got to go work. So the proposal was to make Juneteenth a federal holiday to replace Columbus Day. So we're going to make a day that is now largely focused on racial grievance and pushing forth a racial narrative. We're going to have that replace the glorious day of the founding and discovery of the new world. All about framing. You know, Ben is going to be talking about this crazy lady up at Yale, these race issues uh, on his show today, the real racial psychopaths. Go check out and make sure you check out Candace's show. Okay. We all love watching Candace at the Daily Wire. Don't forget that she's also got a podcast. Whether she's asking President Trump hard-hitting questions, like uh, whether he wants her to hop on his ticket in 2024, whether it's getting Adam Carolla to expose Hollywood conservatives, or whether it's giving feminism the roast it deserves with her panel of guests, sometimes really handsome, swarthy, witty guests. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just making an observation. Uh, you can check that out on Candace. Subscribe to and download Candace, the audio podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast and be sure to leave it a five-star review. We'll be right back with a lot more. Joe Biden, as the avatar of the left, as a guy who doesn't believe anything, he is a walking, talking, empty suit, is now fully on board with the left's grievance narrative, specifically focused on race, but there are other grievances as well. The reframing of our self-understanding is away from America being a good place, pursuing good things, to America being a hopelessly evil place, destroying the world. Joe Biden gave a virtual commencement address to all the students this year who didn't go to school because of stupid policies that people like him supported. So he's giving the commencement anyway, even though these kids didn't get an education for a year. And does he focus on the future, on all the great, wonderful things, on thank your parents, thank this country that's given you so much, and go forth and do her proud? No, Joe Biden focuses on systemic racism and climate change. Take a listen. Just three years after I stood where you're standing, two of my political heroes, Dr. King and Robert Kennedy, were gunned down. The Vietnam War divided the nation and divided families. We're in the midst of a great movement for civil rights, women's rights, and environmental rights. We faced an, an inflection point. And we did our best to seize that moment because things were changing so rapidly. And now you face another inflection point. As we put this pandemic behind us, rebuild our economy, root out systemic racism, and tackle climate change, we're addressing the great crises of our time with a greater sense of purpose than ever before. And because of you, your generation, I've never been more optimistic about the future than I am today. Apparently, the sun monster is the same thing as the Vietnam War. You see, in the 1960s, 18-year-old men had to go off and fight and often die in the jungles of Vietnam. And that's the same thing as you buying a carbon tax credit or something, or eating less meat, or, or turning the air conditioner down to 
turning it up, I guess, you know, it was at 68 degrees. Now it's gonna be like 69 degrees to fight the sun monster. You know, that big, that, that totally real thing that is really threatening all of our lives, you know, not just a complete contrivance of the radical left. Yeah, that's the same thing, right? Just like the sixties. The 1960s are the inflection point. He actually makes an important observation here. This was a real inflection point in the country where things basically went to hell in a handbasket. And it was, they all used this really nice language, this language that everybody would get on board for. This is going to be better for race relations. This is going to, what we're doing right now is very important for racial justice and for sexual justice and for this justice and that. And you think, oh, I'm, I'm for all those things. Great. And what happened? <laughs> on, on virtually any measure since the 1960s, things have fallen apart. The one, the one measure where people could make the argument that things have gotten better is on race relations. But the very people who defend the 1960s don't make that argument. They say, no, actually, it's not, it's not better at all than it was. Actually, race relations are worse. It's, ter- it's hidden white supremacy. We've got to start shooting whites in the streets. Go, go to Yale University. You'll hear that lecture. So even on that point, they're, they're not even making that claim. The real turning point of the 1960s, I think, was not on racial justice or sexual justice or environmental justice, whatever that is. It's on the shift in our self-understanding from loving our country and wanting to preserve it and having gratitude for our forebears to despising our country and wanting to burn it down. It wasn't long after the spirit of the 60s that you had the Reverend Jesse Jackson marching down at Stanford yelling, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. He was referring to a specific course. I think he was also referring to the broader civilization. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. Used to be the glories of the past that we want to thank and build on and, and cherish to tear this place to the ground. So what is it? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go from here? There is some good news. I don't want to leave you totally sad, dejected, upset. There is actually good news coming out of Washington, coming out of a Democrat in Washington regarding the worst piece of legislation that's up right now. You've heard about S-1. This is the first bill up in the Senate related to H.R. 1, the first bill up in the House of Representatives. We've nicknamed it the Corrupt Politicians Act. This is the bill to federalize the elections and take away voter integrity rules and basically give Democrats the ability to continue to cheat in elections again and again and again. Continue to cheat. <laughs> because look, there's, there's fraud in every election, okay? Uh, Lyndon Johnson won his Senate seat in 1948 because they stuffed the ballot box, okay? So this sort of thing happens. It's happened in many, many elections. And if the Democrats get their way on the Corrupt Politicians Act, it's going to happen much more often. So Joe Manchin, a swing vote, he's a moderate Democrat from West Virginia, he has come out and effectively said he will not give his support to the Corrupt Politicians Act. Now, it's actually a little complicated the way this is going to work because in order for the Corrupt Politicians Act to go through, Democrats need to get rid of the filibuster, which requires more than a simple majority to get a bill through. So Joe Manchin wouldn't need to vote for the Corrupt Politicians Act necessarily to get the act through. He would just need to vote to break the filibuster. So 
The question is, is Manchin going to vote to do that? And Manchin says, no. He will not vote for, and he, he doesn't support the legislation, by the way. So he says, voting an election reform that is done in a partisan manner will all but ensure partisan divisions continue to deepen. This is something Joe Manchin wrote in his hometown newspaper. Very good news. I'm pleased to hear that. Now, there's one other swing vote that's getting a lot of pressure right now to, uh, to vote for the Corrupt Politicians Act. That's Kirsten Cinema. She's in uh, Arizona. That would be, we'll, we'll see if she caves to that pressure or not. I, I hope she, she does not cave. She's also fairly independent-minded. The question we have to ask ourselves when we're looking at something like the Corrupt Politicians Act is not so much, how does the Constitution lay out the way the government works in theory? The question is, where does the power really lie? When you look at the 2020 election, we know the way elections are supposed to go. The states are supposed to make election laws that abide by the the rules of their state constitutions and then There's supposed to be certain mechanisms in place. And a a lot of that went out the window in 2020. In Pennsylvania, for instance, the state election officials, the Democrats there, threw out even the constitutional requirements for how voting be conducted. So there's the way the government works in theory, and then there's how the government works in reality, the practice, where the power really lies. And it goes beyond the government because there are other entities that have a lot of political power. Notably, the media, sure, but especially big tech, big tech companies. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, all of these big tech platforms acting in concert on January 7th and 8th, censored, deplatformed, ostracized the duly elected sitting president of the United States. Regardless of, of what you think happened in the 2020 election, nobody can dispute that on January 7th, 2021, Donald Trump was the duly elected sitting president. He had at least another 13 days left to be president. And in that time, big tech companies, hipster Rasputin, a grown man with a nose ring in Silicon Valley, Jack Dorsey and the others, censored the duly elected president. Wow, man, that's a lot of power especially considering that our public square, the place politics is conducted, where we speak and we persuade one another, the essence of Republican government takes place on those platforms. Those platforms control the flow of information around the internet and therefore around our society. And they censored the president. They had more power than the president. Trump is still off of Facebook and the Facebook super duper oversight board of the then kicking it to the corporation. And that sounds, sounds like a government, frankly, like Mitch McConnell said, sounds like a parallel government. They have decided that Trump will be kicked off of Facebook for another two years. Here is what the Facebook spokesman said. Given the gravity of the circumstances that led to Mr. Trump's suspension, we believe his actions constituted a severe violation of our rules, which merit the, that's bad grammar too. The, 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 the violation is singular. It should be merits. Never mind. I don't expect Facebook to be particularly sophisticated. I expect them to be very powerful, but not sophisticated in their thought. A highest penalty available under the new enforcement protocols. Do you know who said this? This was Nick Clegg, the vice president of global affairs at Facebook. He wrote that in a blog post. Does the name Nick Clegg ring a bell? Only if you pay attention to politics overseas in the motherland would that name ring a bell. Because Nick Clegg 
is the former Deputy Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. He was the leader of the Liberal Democrats for seven, eight years. Now, Facebook's a private company, Michael. It's a private company that is (laughs) apparently run in part by a major liberal politician in the who's held a lot of political power. Gosh, these lines are starting to blur, aren't they? Between the public and the private and the politics and the culture and the government and the business, it looks kind of, all kind of looks like the same thing to me. So now you're in a situation where a very prominent liberal politician is wielding a massive, ostensibly private entity to censor conservatives, even duly elected conservatives, even the president of the United States. Think about that power. It's a lot of power, but we're told by some people, we cannot question that. We're told not just by the left, which is giddily uh, using all of this political power, wielding it left and right. We're told by the squishy pseudo conservatives that we cannot question this at all because Facebook's a private company. Facebook's a private company that employs the former deputy prime minister of the United Kingdom and wields more power than basically any government ever in human history. And look, if they want to ostracize the, the duly elected president, then that's their right. That's private. Build your own Facebook. Build your own Google. Build your own Twitter. No, no. Because I think the end of that is build your own government. <laughs> right? Even Mitch McConnell, who's as establishment as they come, said that these woke corporations are acting in many ways as a parallel government. And the reason they've gotten so much of this power in no small part is because conservatives for the past 20 years, like lunatics, have been shilling for the corporations that hate them. Because the left has pushed for an intense privatization of all social decisions, right? Sex, especially sex, but so much of our culture, it's private, whatever you want to do, it's fine, do whatever you want, chop off your body parts if you want. And the right has pushed for an intense privatization of all economic decisions. Oh, the government has nothing to say about these giant woke corporations. How dare you? These, Nick Clegg is a job creator. We need to defend Nick Clegg, right? No, I don't think so. I think they've both redounded to the same effect, which is to upend our society and, and take away political power from the citizens. Now, I never thought that the United States would have something to learn about self-government from Nigeria, (laughs) but but we do. We do. On Friday, uh, I, I suppose actually a few days before Friday, so sometime last week, Twitter suspended the president of Nigeria. They were, they removed a post of his, I should say, I'll be more specific. They removed a post from president Muhammadu Buhari. Now they removed this post because uh, Buhari was threatening to punish groups that were implicated in attacks on government buildings. And president Buhari's post was removed for violating Twitter's apparent abusive behavior policy. So it's now Twitter's policy that a head of state is not allowed to threaten to punish groups that attack the government. I guess, but only if the, I guess only if Twitter supports those groups and opposes the, the president, right? Because there have been certainly other times where the situation was reversed and Twitter didn't, didn't remove government posts. So what did Nigeria do? They blocked Twitter from the country. They just suspended it. It's now very, very difficult to get on Twitter if you're in Nigeria. Do you know what I say? Good for Nigeria. 
Now, look, I don't, I'm not making any point about President Muhammadu, Muhammadu Buhari. I'm not making any point about Nigerian politics, about which I know nothing and about which I don't really care to know very much at all. There are a lot of countries in the world and Nigeria is trying to work out its own situation. But I am very supportive of sovereign states not having their entire political system overrun by Jack Dorsey. I don't think that Jack Dorsey has the right to craft national policy in African states. Okay. I know that the, the neolibs want this new era of colonialism where a handful of woke oligarchs here in the United States can choose every country's affairs for them, I suppose, including our own country's affairs. But I am very impressed that Nigeria said, no, no, Twitter, you violated our terms of service. And so you're not permitted in this country. There's a lot of bad stuff on the internet. I'm not just talking about the woke oligarchs who are trying to take political power away from governments, whether the governments are good governments or bad governments, the, the woke oligarchs are trying to take power away from them. And, and in, in the case of our country, take power away from the people. But there's other bad stuff on the internet, like OnlyFans. If you haven't heard of OnlyFans, OnlyFans is a sort of democratization of porn. It's just a way to upload your own stuff and make some, I think, you know, OnlyFans gets a big cut, but then people who flash their various body parts on the internet can make money from people who subscribe, who are obviously in the throes of depravity and porn addiction because there's a lot of free porn on the internet. So if you're paying for pornography, can you imagine how far down the rabbit hole you are? So this is attracting fairly mainstream people. The former UFC champion, Jessica Andrade, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, she's now joining OnlyFans. She said, at the request of American fans, it's always the decadent American fans, I signed up for OnlyFans, follow me. This is bad. This is bad that people will objectify themselves and turn their, their very bodies into a product for mass consumption. Okay, that's very bad. It's, it's degrading to do that sort of thing. You should, that should be highly regulated or illegal. That would not be a violation of freedom to make that illegal. Actually, porn was illegal or at least very, very heavily regulated for basically our entire country's history until about five minutes ago. That's good. That's not an, a shrinking of free speech. That is actually a defense of free speech. Because certain speech undermines free speech. Certain things undermine freedom. When Nigeria goes in and suspends Twitter because Twitter is suspending the president, that is not whatever is going on in the Nigerian political system. I'm just talking as a matter of state sovereignty. That is not to diminish political freedom. It's to expand political freedom. Because no matter what one thinks of the president of Nigeria, surely Jack Dorsey is not the president of Nigeria. Regardless of how legitimate and just the, the current ruler of Nigeria is, it seems more just that it be he than, say, Jack Dorsey, right? So I'm going to hear, I'm going to get angry letters. I know, I'm just, I'm telling you this early. I'm going to get angry letters from liberals and libertarians on this point. They'll say, Michael, porn is good. It's a, you know, the patriots fought the Revolutionary War to defend women degrading themselves on OnlyFans. You think, no, no, that's not true. They actually explicitly wrote against all this stuff and you're fooling yourself if you think otherwise. But 
they're going to say, this is authoritarian. It's a word that I, I don't think means very much. If it ever had a meaning these days, it's, it's being watered down quite a lot. What does it mean? If you, if you acknowledge any kind of law, if you acknowledge any kind of self-government, that's, that's authoritarian. If you acknowledge that certain speech undermines speech, that's authoritarian. No, no, I don't, I don't think so. It's, you, you need limits, just like a sonnet, just like poetry. Poetry gets its beauty and its freedom, actually, from the limits that are imposed on it, from the meter and from the rhyme scheme and from various sorts of factors. doesn't need to include all of those things, but there need to be some limits to have some poetry. Otherwise, it's not recognizable as a poem. The same thing is true of society. The same thing is true of speech regimes. Now, I do want to turn before we go to something wholesome on the internet. Abuela. Abuela. AOC's abuela. She doesn't call her grandma. She calls her abuela. I don't refer to my grandmother as nonna, but AOC, to make a point about how much she doesn't like America, insists on using these kind of borrowed words every now and again. She says that Abuela's roof in Puerto Rico is in disrepair. AOC, who is wealthy and drives a Tesla, refuses to help Abuela, but she's angry and she's going to criticize Donald Trump for not helping Abuela, even though Donald Trump actually did help Abuela, but corrupt Puerto Rican politicians took the money. So Matt Walsh, a true philanthropist at the Daily Wire put up a GoFundMe campaign and he said, we got to help Abuela raise money to fix her roof. The campaign raised over $100,000 in about 10 hours. I donated, okay? Look, I know, I know I'm a philanthropist. I don't know what to tell. We all, a lot of conservatives donated. Now, I, part of this is, I think a lot of conservatives knew AOC wouldn't, wouldn't permit the money to be taken. And you think that's, that's exactly what happened actually. First of all, I think a lot of conservatives gave and just thought like, okay, this lady needs her own roof fund. What's it to me? I'm, I'm, I like that. I like being charitable. But a lot of us also knew AOC wouldn't take the money because AOC hates private charity in the same way that Bernie Sanders hates private charity. I, I talk about this. This is philosophically consistent with leftism. I talk about this in my upcoming book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which is available now for pre-order and you can get a signed first edition copy of Premier Collectibles. So Matt gets a letter from GoFundMe. Dear Matt, we're in touch with the beneficiary's family, and they've made clear they will not be accepting the funds raised, and so now we all get a refund. My question is, does, does the family of a beneficiary get to make that decision? Because we didn't, we didn't start this GoFundMe for AOC to dole out as she pleases to Abuela. The GoFundMe was for Abuela. So really, Abuela should be making this decision. As far as I know, AOC doesn't have power of attorney over Abuela. But someone in the family, someone powerful enough in the family to get, go, I wonder who that could be, goes in and says, kill this thing. We don't, we would rather Abuela's roof be broken than accept a hundred grand from conservatives because that would prove that they're right and we're wrong and that they're doing a good thing and we're big jerks about it. So they, they turn it down. I think someone needs to investigate this. I don't think that AOC or anyone else in that family has the right to do this to Abuela. Seems very wrong to me. By the way, before we go, can't, I can't let this go without mentioning it. Kathy Griffin tweets out on this very Abuela point to AOC says, thank you for continuing to do a great job. You represent Americans better than we represent ourselves. Kathy Griffin, very leftist comedian, alleged comedian doesn't think AOC is American <laughs> because AOC is Puerto Rican. Even though she was born in America, raised in America, doesn't have an accent, 
even when she uses the word abuela. <laughs> Kathy, it sounds a little racist. I don't know. The word racism doesn't mean anything anymore, but I think that, does that count? You represent Americans better than we represent ourselves. Great little bit. As far as I can tell, the tweet is still up. But there's a serious point here. Kathy Griffin recognizes that AOC is anti-American. And she is. She is anti-American. She doesn't like this country. She doesn't like what it stands for. She wants to fundamentally transform it, as does the left more broadly. So what kind of country are we going to have? What kind of country are we going to have? The symbols here really matter. The words we use really matter. And right now, I'm sorry to say, the left has the upper hand. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. The $100,000 I raised for AOC's grandmother is turned down by her family. Also, BLM riots over a violent felon and fugitive who shot at the cops and died in the process. A prominent psychiatrist confesses her fantasies of murdering white people and a feud between rival beekeepers has erupted on TikTok. That's very important. We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show.